You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the Midside, where we can smell what the rock is cooking. Also, I don't know if I can hear right now. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Amosneski, the hopeful romantic, and I proactively and retroactively denounce anything we've ever said and ever will say. I was talking about my hearing there because you can probably hear a slight echo right now, and I say slight, I mean very, very large echo, because I am sitting here with uh, members of Midside present and past. Uh, people are visiting me this weekend and we are recording in my kitchen so things are slightly different and I've also got my headphones on and the opening song was very loud for me. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to soldier on because this is going to be a very exciting episode. We've had a very good weekend and we have a lot of uh, exciting things to talk about, a lot of news to talk about. Someone from Midside Past has a lot of uh, updates to give us on his life and I think it's something that you all as listeners of this podcast will especially find interesting. So let me bring in uh, first my co-host and then our guest that we have. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. It's been a wonderful weekend. Um, I I would like to say though uh, it is very humid. I've been joking around all weekend that it's a dry heat. Uh, coming from California, but uh, it's not getting as many laughs now at this point. But uh, it's a dry heave, a, a dry heat, dry heat. Oh, okay. So it's uh, it's been great, dude. Uh, had a great time so far this weekend. Um, I, I can't even think of what are the other things I did this week because uh, because we've been just having such a great time. There's um, nothing else to think about. I know. We uh, we, we went to Siesta Key, the best beach in the country, if not the world. That's a bold statement, but <laughs> I will I will fight that statement. No nudity though, so maybe the, yeah, the, the South yeah. maybe South France beaches are better. I don't know. The South French beaches are better. <clears throat> uh, we we spent the day at Hollywood Studios on Friday. We went on Rise of the Resistance. That that was quite an experience. Maybe we'll we'll get a little commentary on that in one second. Yeah, uh, but I think we have a more exciting. Uh, uh, emeritus host to introduce first. All right, yeah. So joining us from, I guess, sitting right next to me, but living in D.C. for now, talking about moving to the greatest state in the country in a little bit. Texas? You... <laughs> God damn it, not Texas. <laughs> Is Ron DeSantis in Texas? Oh, no, I just alienated uh, our, our fourth host. But um, uh, you know him from the past, back from hiatus, Daniel T. Richards. Oh, boy. This has given me some real PTSD. <laughs> I almost forgot what to say. Hello, I guess, is what I say. I seem to be here. Yeah. I am still privileged in some way. <laughs> it's true, even to this day. How long have you been waiting to use that drop? How long have you planned that for? It's it's the first drop I have for Daniel Returns. So. I guess in some ways I've never really left. So. <laughs> no, it's true. Every episode he hits that drop, hit the drop that you always hit. Oh, uh, well, you have to do it. Way to step on it, Justin. I mean... That one happens all the time. <laughs> Especially during trailer takedown. Yeah. So he, hasn't, he hasn't fixed that no. yet? No. Great. I'm still terrible at this. So you're not timing, hosting. Timing no, I'm right. still terrible at Speaking this. Speaking of timing, introduce our next guest. No, no, no. First of all, 
commentary on Rise of the Resistance. You're the Star Wars guy. Yeah. I wanted to ride it with you. Mm. So He's wearing a Star Wars shirt currently. Mm. He wore a Star Wars shirt all weekend. I, I wore New Found Glory all weekend. That's true. We wear our values on our sleeves around That's here. That's true. Wait, it's true. It's very true. I'm looking at my arms right now with my tattoos. Um, That's good podcast. So, <laughs> That's why I described it visually, because I heard Adam Carolla in my head yelling at Dr. Drew. <laughs> Still giving good pod after all these years. Uh, so, I could give my opinions on Rise of the Resistance, but you're the Star Wars guy. Give us your views on Rise of the Resistance. Well, incredible experience. Ride was stunning. I don't want to give away spoilers yeah, for the audience. Definitely. not a good thing, but it's it's it lives up to the hype. Obviously, there's less of an emotional connection for me because it's a sequel property and not an original trilogy. There's property. walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. That's that's spoilers. It's called Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> <laughs> Think Han Solo doesn't have Han Solo in it? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. It doesn't. You're expecting that. Do not go. So it was it was fantastic. It was an emotional experience, even if it wasn't a deeply emotional experience. And I'm glad I got to do it with all y'all. Yeah, I will say one thing about it uh, is it reminded me a lot of the Star Trek experience. We talked about this a little mm -hmm. bit back when that still existed in Vegas. Are you allowed to do that? Like, say something Star Wars reminded you of Star Trek? I think you just, like, started a fan war. No, no, no. I mean, in, in the design of, of, of basically being in a set that you've seen, right? Like, you see in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. better, better than the movies, to be clear. Yeah. Much it better was, than the movies. Uh, the way I would describe it is it's epic in scope. Yeah. It's very epic yep. in scope, and I, w I was blown away by how, how how large that scope was and how large that scale was from beginning to end. It's an experience that that's worth doing. I think something Disney has been struggling with uh, lately and since Harry Potter came out, because they've been trying to compete with the experience of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, is having things like that. And I think uh, Rise of the Resistance is the first time they're they're really really doing that. So it'll be interesting to see if this sort of uh, portends what will happen. In, in the future for Disney. So if you have a chance, uh, you know, if you live in Florida, you're near Florida, go check it out. Or if you live in California, go. Like our next guest lives in California, so maybe he's been uh, to Rise of the Resistance. Let's ask him. Joining us from um, Hollywood, one of the worst places in the world. Can I say that? <laughs> I can say that. It's my show. I can say that. Uh, you all remember him. He's one of our favorite guests to have on the show. Kirk Wilcox. Kirk, welcome to the show. Know your role and shut your mouth! Yeah. Uh, know your role and shut your mouth. Whoa! In honor, because we're going to be talking minute. about Young Rock today. Yeah, we are. We're gonna and be also because you're ripping on my, on my uh, stomping grounds. Los Angeles, California. You got a problem? Uh, yeah. I mean, what, what, what are our problems? Do we want to list them? Do we have, a, do we have an itemized list yet? Other than literally being stomped to death, <laughs> your stomping grounds, yes. But I think uh, what at Disneyland it's called Galaxy's Edge. I don't think it's called Rise of the Resistance. I well, went over uh, a year ago, before, you know, pre-COVID, and it was pretty fancy. It was a it was a fun experience. It's uh, Rise of the Resistance is one of the rides within Galaxy's Edge. It wasn't open oh. for a long time, uh, or it wasn't open for like the first year or something. Right. It no, opened in there. January 2020 in California, I believe. Yeah, something like. Or December no December 2020, yeah. and then it opened in like January 2020 here in Florida. So California got it first. But, but Seeker, we just call Galaxy's Edge uh, fake Tatooine, <laughs> so yeah. that's why we don't refer to it by its other name. Yeah, it's a good time. That was a yeah, I think I rode that ride. Right. It was a lot of fun. It's cool. Yeah. 
good to hear from you, Kirk. It's been it's been a while. I know, right? Yeah. So what have you what's what have been, you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, well, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. Went to Vegas, celebrated Fourth of July last week, and yeah, trying to get back in the swing of things, making new videos. Should have one up later today. So, yeah. what's that video? What's that video about? It's another rebuttal to this uh, so, this communist YouTuber called Second Thought, um, who I actually made a parody thought? of Second-handed back thought? in December. What? I said second-handed thought. Was a joke. Oh yeah, no, he has over a million subscribers, and he makes all these kind of like documentary style videos about why capitalism is the worst thing in the world, and uh, a lot of people like me to like my rebuttals to his channel. So I just, uh, they're, they're it's it's really fun taking him down. Give him hell, Kirk. Yeah, it seems like it'd be uh, rather easy a communist <laughs> on a monetized platform with a million subscribers. <laughs> Maybe he should give us some of his subscribers. That seems like it would be fair and equal. Should- Redistribute. Yeah, yeah, he should redistribute his subscribers. What is he thinking? From right? each according to their need, or ability to each according to their need. There right. we go. Well, that update's awesome, and I think that you'll appreciate, Kirk, what we're about to talk to with Daniel. So thank you for the update on what you've been up to. And uh, let's head into Life on the Midside here to, to figure out what's going on with Daniel. What, what, what's going on with his life? Take a good look around. Does life really suck? No, we just complain, and I hope that this mic is on. Because I'm on the road here. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. Uh, we accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. Now, Daniel, if you remember, one of the reasons you left the show is because you wanted to take a hiatus to work on other projects. Mm. So I'm glad that one... I.e., he had better things to do with right. his life. I mean, yeah. I know, I understand. But I have nothing better to do, right? I live in Florida. This is what Florida man does, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm really glad that now that you're coming back and guessing, you actually have something epic to report, something yeah. amazing to report. And you weren't just like, yeah, like, I haven't really been doing anything. So why mm. don't you tell us... Uh, about your new venture here in life, what you're doing, uh, why it would, why it's exciting for you, and why it would be exciting for our audience in particular. Mm, candles. <laughs> I'm making candles. Do they smell like your vagina? Hmm, no. Wait, kids, don't want to compete with Gwyneth. Uh, so I'm not making candles, but I am bringing light to the world, Justin. Set that up. You see that setup you did? Oh, there? man. Remember how much of a pro I am at this? Yeah, I remember the dad jokes. Uh, it just seems to me like you read Anthem recently. <laughs> so, I am leaving my full-time job at the Federal Society. That is not news to them. If they're listening, they should have already heard that, I hope, yeah. by the time this comes <laughs> out. Uh, and I am co-founding a new for-profit business with a dear friend of mine named Tyler. And Boo-profits! <laughs> <laughs> she and I are starting a business named Return on Ideas. Hmm. Hmm. Intriguing. Hmm. Interesting. I hope. To someone. Here's the thing. Return on Ideas is going to serve think tanks, thought leaders, anyone who's generally in the idea space. And what we really want to do is accelerate ideas that free people's minds. And what the hell does that mean? Well, if you haven't noticed... Drugs? Uh, LSD? Depends on depends on which organization. You know, Cato might be into that. <laughs> 
We could do that for Cato. Um, if you haven't noticed, uh, Liberty is losing. Have you looked outside lately? Or, uh, or if you listened to Welcome to the Midside over the past uh, 18 months and heard everything we've said about the pandemic. And I have said uh, for years, including with, with dear friends, uh, Justin and, and friend Adam, back when we worked at ARI and, and Don Watkins and, and others, that uh, my goal in life, my personal mission in life was liberty in my lifetime, uh, which is ambitious, but hopefully uh, we, can, we can make some progress on that with this new company. And so our, we started this company because we saw that the number one problem in, in our space, in the nonprofit space, was how the hell do you measure impact? Or the way we framed it was, what is the return on investment for an ideas product? Um, and it's the problem that stares everyone in the face in this business. And yet it's the problem we most look away from. And so this business is set up to directly own that problem and say, we're going to stare this problem down as frightening as it is. And we are going to actually find ways through a bunch of good work on how to make progress in the liberty movement, um, broadly speaking, but on specific issues. Day-to-day, -day, tactically, what does that mean? Well, it's going to be a lot of work in the video space, podcast space, uh, doing a lot of artwork, uh, creative direction, digital marketing, digital strategy things like that. And yeah, we get going August 1. So coming up here pretty soon, I couldn't be more excited to get started. So. Well, when you say your day-to-day -day is in the podcast space, in the video space, that's just for now, right? I mean, this, sure. is, this is a company that, I mean, this could theoretically last well beyond your death. Mm -hmm. And there... Death. <laughs> or your death. When, when he said liberty, he said liberty from death is what he meant. Yeah. Uh, but but no, what, what I'm saying is like, you are willing to pivot at any moment if, if that's what's required mm -hmm. to, to communicate the ideas, correct? Yes. So the, the, the mission of the business is about accelerating ideas that free minds. We are not committed in particular to any method that does that. We are looking for the most effective methods to do that. And it could be wildly different based on the issue or based on the industry we're working in, and certainly based on the audiences we are trying to communicate with and move in some way. So yeah, right now, video is very popular, podcasting very popular. We're working in those spaces. We're trying to get away from things like, I don't know, white papers, things that no one, no one's reading. Yet. Racist we're, papers. We're, we're, <laughs> we're oppressor papers <laughs> that we're producing at, at incredible rates. Um, and, and just really trying to use these things, again, to serve the greater purpose of figuring out how do you actually make impact in particular areas? So lots of feedback loops, lots of data, lots of reassessing, pivoting. That's all going to be an important part of it. Uh, we're not out there to do the same thing forever and just make money. We actually are committed, both my co-founder and I, to to a movement here. So we're excited. It sounds really exciting. I think we talked about it a little bit, but you know, this this we've seen how the uh, sort of the data that's available to creators on a, a platform like YouTube mm -hmm. or um, or on Twitter or Facebook, how those those uh, those have been sort of used to spread a lot of uh, instead of spreading specific ideas, basically spreading clickbait, spreading mm -hmm. vir virality, yeah. right? And and how that there's no the, the, you know creators don't have the tools to know how effective their you know their ideas are actually getting out there, right? Like likes doesn't tell you if someone is like if that they're actually engaged or change behavior, right? If that idea has been taken Wait, in. Wait, what? 
So uh, yeah, you can't just change my entire likes. business model. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. So how are you thinking about how uh, you know that effect of that? You know, sort of how do you how do you take that effect that we know works to the sort of virality? Like in other words, just getting it in front of people versus is this actually changing and, and getting yeah. ideas out there? Let me let me start with a, a a more core premise type thing, which is. I do think that when we think about impact, it's sort of just all lumped into this giant category of um, influence or persuasion or something like that. And, and it, in many ways it is, but actually impact can be fairly different depending on what type of organization you are and what you're trying to accomplish with that organization. Uh, a really cool framework that has been worked on by a group called the Atlas Network and specifically um, Dr. Lyle Swim is on like, what types of impact uh, are different for organizations that are considered popularizers? People whose sole goal as an organization is to take an idea and make it popular with people. There's a totally different set of impact metrics for that versus an organization that's called like a builder. And a builder type organization goes out and tries to make other organizations better organizations. So they're not trying to popularize ideas with a general public or with an audience. They're just saying, hey, come here. We'll give you some training for this thing. And then you go off and do whatever it is that you do. Totally different impact metrics for that. And versus even another type of organization, which is like a mobilizer, people who are trying to get people to go out and do something in the world. Totally different type of impact metrics. And I think that to, to get at the question specifically a little bit, part of the problem here is that as an industry, we're only thinking about impact in one way and only thinking about it in these consumption metrics. And that's what every report is filled with. We had this many views and this many likes and this many whatever, and fine. I mean, I guess there's a place for those sort of things, but they are not substitutes for actually figuring out who specifically you're targeting and what specifically you want them to do and figuring out the connection between those two things and coming up with very specific impact metrics for those things. That was a little broad, but that's because it's it's hard without a specific scenario yeah. to talk about specific impact. But yeah. Justin sitting here nodding and yawning simultaneously. <laughs> I feel bad because I knew you were gonna say that. It's not like we just we've been up late the last two days, so it's not that what you're saying is interesting. Fully energized. I don't yeah. know. I feel like I could do this all again. It's mulligan on the weekend. No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Uh, so I, I do have a question in regards to what you're talking to, and it's it's relevant to uh, to our, our third, you know, or yeah, our fourth host here, our, our, our guest. Are you gonna? Do you have any plans to do anything sort of like a program for maybe not um, organizations who you can contract with one on one, mm -hmm. but so it's sort of a program to help you know individual users in the sense, you know. Like, let me maybe ask Kirk a question first before sure. uh, you answer that question. Sure, and... I'll think about how I want to dodge this question. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Kirk, with the things that Dan is saying, something I, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on are, are you just measuring engagement as the success of your videos? Or are you, you know, trying to measure impact in some way? Uh, you... I really hate to do this, but I only heard like half of that because uh it kind of broke up on Discord. Okay, that's fine. So to say what I was saying again is, are you only measuring engagement? So you know, you mentioned earlier you said, you know, people really like your reply to that to that communist YouTuber with a million 
uh, views. Uh, so are you just measuring engagement or is your ultimate goal impact in the way that Daniel's talking about it? And are you measuring it in some way? Well, my overall, my main, main goal is just to have fun and try to enjoy what I'm doing. But Ooh. what I do is I create content for people to enjoy. So I am in the realm of ideas. But yeah, uh, it's really, I kind of go back and forth on it where it's just like, I do want to grow my channel. And I have had a lot of success this year, uh, especially as of late. Uh, I've over, I've more than... I'd say tripled my audience over the last year, which is, you know, phenomenal. And I seem to be um, making a mark on other uh, YouTubers who are much larger than me, who seem to be uh, fans of my work. And, uh, and that, that really, uh, that, that really excites me. But that, then, then again, it's like, I'm not where I really want to be. I'm still a rather small YouTube channel and it's really hard to kind of assess like, Oh, like by what it's hard to like really, uh, have a good metric on like how on what kind of impact I'm having really. So it's just like, do I want to be like popular or do I want to like um, really uh, inspire people who are also who also might be popular, might be uh, might might be getting ideas out there who are much bigger than me. Kirk, I like that approach though, and I think it's actually one thing that's that's missing from a lot of the work that we do in the ideas space, which is we people do tend to start at it with like. I'm going to go off and, and make an impact in this area when in fact, one of the first questions you should be asking yourself is like, what problem am I solving for my audience or what value am I providing for my audience? And it actually, actually really warms my heart to hear you say that your, your first thought was I'm being entertaining. I want to create entertaining oh, yeah. content for people. Like that is, <laughs> that's an exceedingly important first step to actually having any meaningful influences, you actually have to be really good and, and entertaining. So kudos. Yeah. Man. One of the things that really excites me is when I see new people, when, whenever I check my notifications, and I see the same account commenting on all my videos and I know that they're binging and I often get these comments saying, Oh, I just discovered your channel. I'm checking out your whole backlog and, uh, and you've really changed the way I think I thought about some issues. Thank you. Even like some, I have like religious people in my audience and you know, I'm a, you know, I, I assume we're all atheists here. We're all objectivists. What? And I'm, I'm always surprised. Like, I dunk on, on religion a lot. And you know, religious people still watch my stuff. I have uh, in, not uh, left-leaning people who don't agree with me on politics, but they appreciate my perspective on, on things, even if they disagree with me on a lot. That's great. Got to be entertaining first. first oh, yeah. Foremost. Well, and I, I think something he just said, Daniel... And it's something I'd love to do with the show, and I've always endeavored to do with the show. I don't think we've been as successful as Kirk, but it's something that's missing from a lot of these more liberty-minded organizations. Is there's a lot of preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of they end up just speaking to their same audience that already shares their perspective. They're not trying to engage in a conversation where it's, oh, hey, how do we have people listen to us, even if they don't necessarily agree with us, but just have it be normalized to use one of those. Uh, hip words right now normalize that we're part of this conversation and now a very astute point now think about how radically different it would be if those sort of groups said okay we are going to speak to the choir quote unquote but we're going to look at ourselves as a builder model meaning we're going to figure out how to make these individuals better at being advocates for liberty let's say or objectivism or whatever it is but instead, 
They're preaching to the choir, but they're using an impact model of a popularizer. But the problem is that doesn't actually create impact. It, it, <laughs> so. it, it sounds to me like you may have gotten this from your experience with a, with a, with a certain nonprofit. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never worked for a nonprofit, <laughs> except all my life. No, I, I think there's one specific nonprofit, though, that uh, used the popularizer model where they could have been using the builder model. Sure. And, and I'm not to, even to say that like you have to be exclusively Either any or. of them. But you just have to decide programmatically how that's going to work and how you're going to measure and how you're going to... That ultimately decides what your tactics are as well. So, yeah, I don't want to mix models. At least not in this context. No. Hey, uh... William, do you have any other questions about Daniel's business? And no, I'm excited. Or... I'm excited to hear where this goes. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we're, we're going to be swapping uh, business owner stories before you know it. <laughs> I will say that um, I feel like a bad objectivist. Uh, which is that all the talk about like entrepreneurship and business and finance and sales like actually just gives me legitimate dread like and it's it's i see all these things as great and wonderful and i i i adore entrepreneurs and then when it's like oh you're gonna be an entrepreneur like no 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 i'm not an entrepreneur other people are entrepreneurs i work with ideas <laughs> so it has Implement been them it has been a mindset adjustment yeah. quite a bit uh, coming from the nonprofit world so that that's a real thing but well, that's also i mean there's an intersection here of the general culture and objectivist culture with the way the word entrepreneur is used. I mean, how many people have an Instagram account where they have 4,000 followers and they're like, use my promo code to buy this protein powder. And then they put <laughs> entrepreneur in their bio. Hashtag entrepreneurs <laughs> are the best. <laughs> right. So that's in our culture. Everyone right now wants to build an empire, right? They want to, you know, be king and queen. They want to, and that's why like I bristle at these words. So I think you're sort of responding to that, but also the same sense of, Objectivists, there's sort of a, a fetishization of that, right? Mm. Fetish to say, whatever, however the fuck you say it, right? Well, you can't. I can't say it. No, yeah, I can't. can't I'm terrible it. at saying it. But it, they go over the top with it, you know, as if it's all about the numbers. It's all about the profits and everything. Where to me, it's about, like you're saying, the values, the ideas, living based on your values. This is how you maximize your values. So even though you're you're not you're not worried about the business side of it and the business side gives you anxiety, I'm the same way, right? Like I have a great I have great ideas, right? Like this podcast, great idea, right? Look, it's been running for ten years. We got a great audience. We have great guests. We have people on this doing very successful things. Both of you, not myself. Um, Ladies and, and gentlemen, I am not a genius. <laughs> Damn it, that backfired <laughs> greatly. That one, that drop backfired greatly. But I don't have that business side of it, and I. I have that same sense you are, so I would just, you know, caution you. It's don't worry about the wording and the labels, right? Worry about the doing. That's right. That's right. And, and that certainly played out in like the first time my co-founder was like, "I actually want you to head up sales," and my thought was, "I don't. I can't sell anything. I'm not good at sales. What is it?" And she was like, "You're you're one of the most masterful uh, persuaders I've ever met. Like you will not have a problem in sales." Well, I, I think like, there's oh, a difference oh. between persuasion and sales. Well, there, there is, but. And we, we talked a lot through it. I'm not meaning to simplify it that greatly, but she pointed out a lot of things about me that I thought didn't apply to sales in a sales context, but they certainly do. No, uh, and I agree with her. The, the point I was making was that the issue I have with sales, even though like I understand the things you do persuasively and I can be very persuasive as well, the problem I have is, is there's like an arbitrary nature of it. It's where you're supposed to keep pushing and you're supposed to hit this number. 
And it doesn't seem as reality-based to me where it's like we're responding to the other person. Where at a certain point, to be persuasive, you have to know when someone's not a convincible audience. Yeah, well, certainly. And, and, but even that, I would say, is, is, a, is a sort of conception of sales that doesn't have to be. Yeah, that's true. And part of it was like helping me get over this mindset and sales just being this conversation about how we come to terms on how I can be extraordinarily valuable to you and on what terms that is. Yeah. And that's it. And, it, and, and if I do legitimately view the work we do as extraordinarily valuable, then actually going into those conversations is not that difficult. Yeah. Um, and plus, just taking a mindset into it that's very honest and very values-driven, which is like, oh, it actually turns out that I actually can't be all that valuable to you, so I'm not going to sell you this product. Yeah. Um, and that's been exceedingly helpful. But before this turns into a therapy session, we should probably move on. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that you could even see what disappearance you're doing right now as a, as a sales, right? What? As marketing. No way. Right. So all three of our listeners, <laughs> if you have money, give it to me. Thank you. So let, let, let's demonstrate what you do on oh. an individual level. Oh, man. So I would like to talk about what's going on with me recently and, and it sort of tease what I'm working on. Mm. And then you all can give feedback on it because I want to hear all your feedback, including, including Kirk's because you all come from different perspectives. So I have been solic- solicited the right word. I've been solicited to write an article. You could say asked. Asked. That seems so boring. Recruited. I, I got asked. Recruited. Ooh, Ooh that's one. good. I like recruited. Yes. I've been recruited to write an article. Ooh. I'm not going to say the publication it's for because I have low self-esteem. So part of me is paranoid. I'm going to write it and they're going to be like, nah, this is actually terrible. <laughs> and it's just go on my own website. But I, it, it'll it's probably... It's the Babylon Bee. <laughs> <laughs> I would be less worried because a terrible article Hard would be on that. funny. Yeah. I... I don't, don't know how they, the man. I don't know how they haven't recruited me yet. I know I'm getting hard over here. But, um, <laughs> so I, I, I've been re- recruited to write a retrospective on Zack Snyder's Justice League and the release of Snyder Cut movement. It was just generally Zack Snyder and you know what he's about. But I said I wanted to do it about you know the movie and the movement in one and sort of a retrospective on it. Because uh, I'm sort of ready to move forward with that in my life. I'm sort of bored with the conversations where it's the same things over again. Look what Marvel did. Look what DC did. Isn't this awesome? Blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing over and over again. Is that your me impression? No. That's okay. not your you impression. Unless you're like an annoying person on Twitter. Are you it's an just annoy- the voice. Yeah, okay. Really? Well, yeah. sorry you speak in a high octave. Is octave the right word? Just, just move on. Register, pitch. I don't know. Whatever. Recruited. Recruited. <laughs> uh, um, so... Uh, I'm using this opportunity to write what I already wanted to write. It was very, you know, kismetic, right? It was like, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and it's important to me that even though we've talked about on this show, you know, the objectivist ideas, the rational ideas in Snyder's work, and also, you know, the, the Snyder fandom, they have a very specific way they want things approached. It's very important to me that it's written for a general audience. And thankfully, that's what the publisher is looking for as well. And the reason for that is, uh, and I think this is relevant to your work, Daniel, the reason for that is I see a lot of, in today's world, especially with these two groups, and maybe it's just because they're the groups I interact with the most, this obsession with like purity. And these things become more of a virtue signal for what you are and who you are and what you believe in. You know, for instance, I've made videos before about you know, Snyder and how he's a romantic. And I've had objectivists reply to me. There was one specifically, I've deleted the comments because the person got very sort of aggressive with me. Oh, it's okay to like Zack Snyder and be an objectivist. Everything you like doesn't have to be objectivist, doesn't have to be romantic. Dismissing my entire entire argument rather than hearing it. 
So that's why it's very important for me to have it be for a general audience. Good. So how the hell do you do that? Because the Snyder Cut seems so uh, niche and so complex in its, in its scope. How do you even begin to approach that? Right. So the way I want to approach that is I want it to be, you know, what my experience was with watching the movie. That's sort of my entry mm-hmm. point to it. And, you know, you were both here, right? So we I wasn't here. We I was were, here in spirit. Oh, I remember. That's weird. To be clear to the maybe general audience who's listening, the Snyder Cut of... Justice Didn't I already say Zack Snyder's Justice League earlier? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm well, just reintroduce it. Just reintroduce Okay. Well, he's better at this than I am. Apparently. <laughs> now I feel woefully inadequate without him around. Oh. So yeah, uh, you were you were here when we watched it, right? Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yes. So that experience of like, what was it? And then why was that experience the way it was for me? But then that opens a huge can of worms and a huge question, right? And that's what should be in the article. So that's what I want to ask all three of you. I want all three of your feedback on, like, knowing what you know or don't know. Justin wants us to write the article. No, 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 no. I already have an outline. Daniel's already read it. But I also want to, before I send that outline on and say this is what I'm going to work off of, I want to make sure I've considered all angles. Mm -hmm. And also, I think this makes for an interesting conversation for the audience to listen to, and it teases the article. To be seen, but yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's start with Kirk. I'm most interested to hear what he has to say. So, Kirk, what would you want to to read about in in an article like this? About how the the, uh, Snyder Cut movement... started and then resulted culminated in it actually coming into concrete reality well yeah that and the significance behind it and the movie itself so it's not just that the movement did this it's like here's the end result of it this movie what is this movie about what does this movie mean so out of all of that you know everything you said and i just said what kind of stuff would you want to be in the article um, I mean, it was a pretty big deal from the standpoint that, um, and, and I think you saw this with, the, oddly enough, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. You guys remember the Sonic the Hedgehog movie? They put out a trailer and everyone hated how Sonic was animated. And then the mm-hmm. studio said, we got to fix this. And they spent millions of dollars redesigning and reanimating Sonic the Hedgehog. And it, it ended up working out. It was a lot better of an animation and fans yeah. were pleased with it. And this is, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, I think a lot of the frustration with Hollywood is that they don't know their audience. They don't listen to their fans. And I think you saw this with um, with with, uh, with Star Wars and the Ryan Johnson. Um, what was it? The, the Last disaster. Jedi. Yes. Yeah, and he was. Uh, uh, I think uh, there was this sense that, um, I, if I recall correctly, Ryan Johnson uh, was trying to. Um, what what I forgot how he, he said he was trying to defy expectations. Uh, subvert, or, yeah, subvert, subvert, subvert yes. expectations. That's the, that's the trigger. So word. everyone had these expect. Yeah, so like a lot of Star Wars fans had a lot of expectations and theories about what was going to happen in the Last Jedi. It seemed like Ryan Johnson was trying to do go out of his way to. Uh, not do any of that and it's just like well why don't you just try to focus on making a good movie that might please your audience and and get them excited and this and i think the snyder cut movement was really uh that was that you know this horrible justice league movie i don't want to say horrible but it wasn't good uh the um, the no you uh, can say horrible it was horrible Okay, it was horrible. God, why am I, I? I'm tripping up on all these terms and names today. Um, Joss Whedon. 
Yeah, his version of the movie came out and uh, fans hated it. And I remember just watching it and just immediately forgetting about it. I didn't I've never really been that after I, I liked the Batman versus Superman movie. And that got me excited for more movies. But then like after Suicide Squad, like I didn't really care much for uh, for, for that whole um mixed universe uh cinematic universe that was the justice league and i saw justice league and i grew up watching the super friends and justice league and i'm I'm a huge batman fan so i was excited for the movie wasn't good moved on and then i remember seeing all like oh we need the snyder cut and i'm not like a big Zack snyder fan i wasn't really that invested i'm like oh okay so he's just gonna re uh you know remake the movie like what's the big deal and then I remember when the movie came out, I was like, wow, this is a much, much, much better than the Joss Whedon movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it made me wanting more from the from the Justice League cinematic universe. And but I think it's kind of incoherent at this point. I don't know what they can do with it. But, yeah, I just think um, it's a an instance where Hollywood tried to a Hollywood studio tried to make up to their fans and, and listen to their fans and give them what they want and it ended up um you know somewhat salvaging the whole justice league cinematic universe uh franchise that's that's perfect i think one thing justin that um i don't know how you approach this or if you do but one thing for you to consider approaching is in fact like that 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 thing about like did he quote unquote remake the entire movie yeah, I wrote that down when Kirk said that. I was or, like, that needs to be in there. Right, yeah. or was it some bastardization of, right. of what he had and he didn't have to, quote-unquote, remake it? Because uh, he didn't do a ton of reshoots in the end. No, he right? only shot four minutes of extra footage. Right, so it was all there. Right. They just destroyed it. Right. Um, I think that's a, a cool conception of, of something to explain there. So. Yeah. I think, I think the, the only thing I would want to add is there's a part... Doing it well and doing it sort of tactfully without being cheesy, but talking about the emotional experience for folks, um, you know, your personal experience, but then also like people who, uh, you know, because there's people who are Zack Snyder fans who who went through this experience. There are people who are DC fans and Batman fans or Superman fans that went through this, right? And they, you know, uh, those folks, like especially in the comics industry, you know, comics is just like destroyed at this point. You know, comics is just destroyed at this point with all the bad, um, bad um, writing and uh, characters changing all of their uh, immutable characteristics to match with the latest virtue signal and and changing their backstories to be nonsensical and making choices that make no sense. Everyone's seeing their characters around them being destroyed, and then to have the Justice League come out and everyone just be like, something's not right, right? Like that was everyone's feeling, and then to actually then at the end of watching the the Snyder Cut, okay. This is the universe. This feels like what I thought it should have felt back in the theater originally. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure about the DC uh, fans in specific because something that lines up with what you said and what Kirk said is the whole Batman thing. And I think a lot of people are Batman fans that are in the general audience. Yeah. And I think that's something important to address as well is you know the whole general audience in relation to what characters they uh latch onto and how that's viewed in the in the general audience versus you know the niche audience are you thinking in your audience conception of a general audience distinguished by those who would be predisposed to be interested in superhero stuff versus those who would not because what what i find interesting about the snyder cut story is that you actually don't have to be interested in 
superheroes to understand the significance of what happened and to be really moved by the significance of what happened. And, and that's 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 really a large part of it. Is it's uh, I want people to understand that this isn't just a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know when think I think of uh, this comparison has been made before. Comic book movies are sort of like the new westerns, right? And I don't want it to think like you have to be a western fan to watch a western. There are some westerns that they're just movies that anyone can watch, and it doesn't matter. And this is the same thing with Zack Snyder's Justice League, and this sort of leads into the last question I wanted to ask you all. Um, and that that's sort of part of it, right? Is this this is an audience who you know these aren't the nerdy people. These aren't the people who are super you know objectivists and care about the rationality of the ideas and everything. I want to I want to make the point that the ideas matter and ideas matter to good storytelling. But you don't necessarily have to agree with everything in a movie for it to be a good movie. So they don't have to necessarily agree with everything in all of Zack Snyder's work or Zack Snyder's Justice League. You know, there may be quibbles about the use of the word faith in the movie. Uh, and then it's also the people who aren't um, you know, super nerdy and super into DC Comics and such. That it's not its not about that. That this is something that was done by someone who loves that, but has been made into something that it can apply to everyone. And I think that's sort of been lost. You know, Kirk's getting at it when he's talking about uh, they responded to their audience for the first time. But I think the audience's instincts were in line with the mainstream. And they're in line with the mainstream where it is and where it should be. In important ways. Hmm. I haven't thought about it like that. That's a very interesting concept. So, well, I'm looking forward to it being teased out. You said you had another question. Yeah, yeah. The last question I wanted to ask you all that's related to this is, uh, where do what do we think of Zack Snyder's Justice League? And I don't mean like let's do a whole episode on it, but I just mean when we talk about Zack Snyder's work, and we've done that extensively on this show, and and I want to hear Kirk's thoughts as well. Um, what where do we what do we think of it as a movie? Where does it rank among all his movies? Is it your favorite Snyder movie? Is it the best Snyder movie? Are those two things the same? We had that discussion over dinner the last uh, mm-hmm. the the other night. Are best and favorite the same? Mm-hmm. So I mean, for instance, best and favorite. I really like. I have trouble with Sucker Punch, and what I mean by that is I love it so much that it might be my favorite movie by him, but it's definitely not his best, especially with the the cut that exists now. Yeah. And and look for for the those of you out there who have read the Romantic Manifesto, Ayn Rand makes this point in Judging Art. Uh, I think we've talked about this on the podcast many times over the years, but good to reset it once in a while. Where she made the distinction on Salvador Dali that she thought he was among the best painters ever, perhaps, but she abhorred his work personally. She just it was had a dreadful sense of life for her, but he was fantastic at it. And so in, in that degree, you should be looking at art both as how do I judge this art based on how well it accomplishes what this type of art is supposed to accomplish, and then also what is my enjoyment of this art? What spiritual fuel or uh, drain do I get from experiencing this art? So I just teed you up to, to give your evaluation if you want to. Of Zack Snyder's Justice Or do you want us to go first? I want you all to go first. Okay, so I guess for me, I, I, we we were talked about this at dinner, but you know, I think Sucker Punch is probably my my favorite one that I've rewatched. Although I really enjoy Man of Steel as well, um, as far as like emotional like feel, right? Then um, you know, as far as best, uh, 
when you said it, my snap judgment was I said, oh, Sucker Punch is the best. But then I started thinking about it, uh, and I was like, well, I think I, I think I like, uh, I think I like the Snyder Cut the best out of everything I've seen. That, and and it's weird to me because I think there are some there are some things that I might have. The movie's too long, right? It's too long. It, it's uh, there's other things that could be in, improved in it, but I think it's probably objectively the best that he's done, despite some, you know. I guess I would say quirks of being on a streaming service versus being in a theater. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think, uh, Kirk? It's hard for me to say because um, I like justice league and Batman versus Superman. I I haven't seen it in years, but I remember really liking Dawn of the dead when I first saw it. I, I don't think I've seen it since I was in college, which is probably 15 years ago. Um, and another, I, I haven't seen all of his work, and one movie I've been wanting to get around seeing is 300, and I've always heard great things about it. Um, so I, I, it's really hard for me to, for me to say. I was not really a fan of Man of Steel. I don't know if that's if it's blasphemy, blasphemy for me to Hit say the that. Drop this, uh, I show. dropped the cover. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for, uh, from what I've seen, I'd probably say it's between Batman vs Superman and Justice League. It's uh, hard for me to compare though because I've only seen the the Justice the Snyder Cut once, and it's a long movie. And it's just like, what? When do I want to watch it again to really uh, decide which one of these movies is my favorite? Hmm. Well, we allow all opinions here, Kirk. Even those uh, opinions, even incorrect ones. Wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. just it's an open open dialogue here. Um, so. For me, I definitely enjoy, of all of his movies, 300 the most. It is almost a visceral experience to watch that movie in, in a way that very few films capture. It's fantastic. Uh, it's also visually stunning. The story is fantastic. That's a Frank Miller thing, right? Yeah. And um, he did Watchmen, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then, I was going to say, in terms of enjoyment, man, it is like... Watchmen, Man of Steel, Sucker Punch, and sort of this cluster that's actually hard to discern where I would lay those out in terms of how much I enjoy those movies. But in terms, I think, of objectively the best art that Snyder's done, I I think it's Justice League. I'm not sure I I could be convinced otherwise. It's, It's a masterpiece of filmmaking and masterpiece specifically of storytelling and interweaving uh, those characters and their arcs and their desires and their conflicts all together uh, into one sort of unified theme. Goodness gracious, like that is an incredible approach, especially as a radically different approach than, say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which sort of felt like characters might have had arcs in a particular movie, but that overall it was fairly disintegrated in terms of the Avengers stuff. Um so I think that's his best. And then after that, uh, God, again, Man of Steel, Watchmen, 300. <sighs> you can't make me choose. Yeah, I have, I have much the same reaction to you, Daniel. You've actually, I think you've worked on me a little bit. I don't know if you've done it intentionally. <laughs> but, you know, when I first watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, it was tough to place it because you know, there's just so much wrapped up in it emotionally. Right, and that's sort of like the, the entry point to the article, right? When you first see the, you know, the in 4-3 to preserve the artistic integrity of Zack Snyder's vision, it's like, what? This exists, and then you see Stone Quarry slash Atlas Entertainment, and you're like, whoa, that exists, and that, that's the beginning <laughs> of a movie? So there's just so much tied up with it emotionally. 
that it's tough to judge, especially when we sat with Batman versus Superman for so many years, and that's what we had to like go over and over, and it was the same discussions. And that's what I mean about a retrospective and being able to move on. Like I don't want to have these discussions anymore. The movie's there, the conversations have been had, and I sort of want to put Zack Snyder's Justice League in the same place because I do think that it is his best work when you look at overall the scope of it and you look at, as you said, the thematic integration from the other two movies, right? That's part of what makes it so incredible as if you look at the trilogy as a whole, right? You look at Man of Steel, you look at Batman versus Superman and how all of that pays off. Superman himself doesn't really have that much of an arc in Zack Snyder's Justice League. The arc is everyone else, which was what was promised in Man of Steel, you will provide an example for them. You will lead them into the sun. That's what's going on in that third movie. And then, yeah, much like you, I like I said Sucker Punch is my favorite to watch, but that's just because I've been watching it more lately and thinking about it more lately. You know, there's uh, I have my editor is out there making my video right now. I recorded my VO and wrote it. So that's going to be released at some point, my, my analytical video about that. So it's on my mind. But then I'll watch 300 and go, no, this is his best movie. Or I'll watch Man of Steel and say, no, this is his best movie. Or I'll watch Watchmen and say, this is his best movie. I mean, getting to the end of Watchmen and seeing what he did and how subtly different it is, but it still has the same sort of similar perspective on humanity to... Um, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, thank you. My, name, my, my, my mind broke. So I, I'm the same way. And then, of course, you know, the other ones, which we won't talk about. No one said the owl movie? <laughs> Come on. It's yeah. fighting owls. And I think that's the other thing to talk about is like, I think seeing Zack Snyder's Justice League and how it exists, and this is a thought we can end on in a conversation for another day, but I think it sort of exposes the weaknesses in Batman versus Superman. Whoa. Any, any quick comments on that? Martha. <laughs> I think that sums it up. So uh, let's move on and let's talk about some other... Uh, art. Let's talk about sitcoms. Let's talk about television. This is one of the reasons we brought uh, Kirk in on this episode because he's a you know huge rock fan, huge pro wrestling fan. So let's review Young Rock in the hopeful romantic with JML. Put me into syndication, broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. If you'd like to continue the conversation we're having during the week or just start conversations or give us topics to talk about on the show, you can do so by joining our Discord. If you go to the midside.com slash podcast or the midside.com and click on any episode link, in there will be a Discord invite link. Click on that, sign up, join the conversation. We have some great, great conversations every week in there and it, it has shaped the show. So we look forward to talking to you. So for the, the review this week, I'd like to talk about Young Rock. This is a show that you guys know I'm a big Rock fan. Uh, I wasn't wasn't really a fan of him in pro wrestling. I've become a fan of him since. You know that I like to joke about but earnestly believe that he will be president one day. So I always intended to watch this show. But then uh, I think it was Kirk was the one who told me about the premise of this show. And I was like, I have to watch it. So the premise of this show is that... In 2032, The Rock is running for president, 
and he is telling stories about his past. So the American people. Well, can, go ahead. Can I actually stop you for a second? Because yes. I remember telling you about this because you like retweeted The Rock saying, oh, I think he's going to run for president. And I was like, haven't you seen this show? Like, it's all about how <laughs> he's going to run for president in 2032. And you're like, holy crap. And then you uh, you said you were going to start watching it. Right. And that's exactly why, because and this is relevant to a conversation I've had with Daniel in the past. Uh, I think this is like I, now I, I think the execution of this from a, from the marketing standpoint isn't so good. But I think this is completely a campaign ad. I think mm-hmm. this fundamentally has to change the way if we're going to not that we should, but if we're going to regulate campaign finance, Blasphemy. this is something we have to to look at. Because this is an ad, is it not? The distinction would be he hasn't declared. Like, he hasn't set up yeah. a, a, a committee that's accepting. And the key thing here is that is accepting money for that. Once you start accepting money, that's okay. the line. But but <laughs> theoretically, you could do all this major work in campaigning and not have that. And then at the, like later set it up and then have all done all this marketing already. Right. What if in the final episode, like after the it ends, it just says, "If you'd like to contribute to Dwayne Johnson's presidential campaign, <laughs> The Rock needs you. Go to this. Uh, yeah. Submit your Bitcoin here. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, great. I mean, <laughs> fascinating, cool, awesome. Not Biden. Tremendous. So, uh, as as a show, qua show, we're not talking about the out of it. Although I do think this is like the most mind blowing campaign. Although I do think he made a mistake for that way because it seems like the second season is going to be about him being president because they get to like, it's only like 10 or 12 episodes ahead. It pulled up here, but it's like social proofing, right? It's like, Oh, I've seen him as president. This would work. Okay. So maybe that's what they're going for with it. (laughs) But, um, they're going to do that in season two because at the end they seem to be doing, Oh, well the polls are in blah, blah, blah. What's going to happen. Right. That's, that's the cliffhanger. But as a show, I was actually very surprised at the quality of this, Kirk. Uh, when it got to about episode five or six, I thought those two episodes in particular were very good. And the second half of the season from that point on was a very, very good show. Yeah, I was surprised as well. I thought it was just going to be like some uh, cash grab that The Rock was doing to cash in on a celebrity. And I think what a lot of people don't know, those who are not really familiar with The Rock's story, life, and career is that... Uh, I think most people just assume like, oh, he made it big in wrestling and then uh, pivoted into a career in Hollywood. But he has a very interesting life story. Uh, As the show uh, explains, he grew up in a professional wrestling family. His maternal uh, grandparents ran the wrestling industry in Hawaii. And he's part of the Annoy wrestling family, which um, probably besides the McMahons has probably had a greater impact on professional wrestling than any other family. They uh, they've produced that that family's produced a variety of superstars like Yokozuna, the the Wild Samoans, Rikishi, Roman Reigns, Rosie and Jamal, and his dad was a professional wrestler. And so you watch this show, and it's just you know The Rock as a child, and he's like having barbecues on a beach with like Macho Man Randy Savage and Andre the Giant, and on top. Of that, a lot of people don't know he played college football at the University of Miami. That this legendary team that ESPN has made documentaries about, and like that, like Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis, like these professional, the, these superstars from the NFL, are like in the show, like you know, talking smack to the Rock and whatnot. And 
and, and on top of that, it really explains how he did. He does come from humble beginnings and how he had to deal with a lot of like legitimate drama in his life, like going to high school and being poor and trying to like impress girls despite this, despite the fact that like he barely had any food in his fridge and was too embarrassed to bring a girl back to his place. And, you know, even if he never became a professional wrestler or celebrity, I mean, he could definitely write books about his life story. Right. And, and everything you just said is, is exactly what was so mind blowing to me at first. And maybe that's why I didn't see the first few episodes as the same quality because I was just so shocked as what's going on. So the show is set in three different time periods and each episode it alternates, right? It doesn't within the episode, it doesn't tend to do that. But every episode, like one's him as a kid growing up in Hawaii with his dad, uh, Rocky Johnson as a professional wrestler and his rise to fame and subsequent, you know, failure as a professional wrestler in the, the WWF at the, is what it was called at the time. Then he has the one here, here is in high school discovering football, discovering girls and getting the discipline. And then there's the him in college as a you know, member of the University of Miami. And that's the, the going to be the storyline that transitions, the time period that transitions into him being a professional wrestler in season two. But in each of these, I was blown away at first, as as Kirk was saying, that it was like, well, there's Junkyard Dog, there's Macho Man, or as a football fan, like, there's Warren Sapp, there's Ray Lewis, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, we're actually watching a fictionalized version of Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis? Like, that just kind of fucking blew my mind at first. It mostly makes me feel old. But well, yeah. well, yes, that was the first thing. But um, when it really changed for me, though is episode six, My Day with Andre, where they had him as a kid spending a day with Andre the Giant. And when we think of Andre the Giant in our culture, we think of him in two ways. We think of him as the pro wrestler who fought Hulk Hogan, and he was one of the Hulk Hogan's foils that Hulk Hogan had to overcome. Or we think of him as the Princess Bride. Anybody want a peanut? Right? Those are the two ways we think of him. And we think of him as, you know, this gentle giant. Almost. Or he's just a big man. It's all about his size, right? He's Andre the Giant. But that episode in particular was so well written because it was about Andre as a person. And you saw Andre's experience as a person and how that helped shape who The Rock became. Because it was about size and the way people see you. And he imparted a lesson to The Rock. And this is part of why it's brilliant marketing because you're like, oh, wow, that, yeah, that makes him a very, yeah, gives him integrity. He's a good person. I'll vote for him. But it's also, it's just good storytelling because you're embody, you're essentializing. You're embody, you're making these characters embody ideas and experiences. You're giving, as we say here in the podcast recently, catharsis. You've actually moved Andre the Giant, who was someone who was based upon spectacle, right? His pure gimmick is Andre the Giant. That's a spectacle-based gimmick. But the show turned him into catharsis. And that was what the later episodes all were. He went through these experiences, but it wasn't just like, oh, here's a cool thing that happened to The Rock. Here's a cool thing that happened to The Rock that taught him how to be who he is. So even if he never becomes president, and this isn't a marketing technique, I think it's amazing how it's almost like an element of masculinity that's missing in our society. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it, look, this is bromantic. I won't call it so bromantic because it's still a network sitcom, so it doesn't get the highest rating. But this is what makes it bromantic is, this is almost what a father is supposed to do to a son. You're supposed to sit down and say, here's my life experiences and here's what I learned from it. That's the value of storytelling. 
And that's what he's doing I, with this show. So whether The Rock's doing it intentionally, he has amazing instincts here. He knows what he's doing storytelling-wise. You bring up uh, the uh, Andre being kind of like a father figure to The Rock, and I still can't get over that scene where his dad like takes Young Rock to the beach after he got his surfboard stolen and pulls a knife on a bunch of kids yeah. to get the surfboard back. I'm like, who does that? Uh, I, I was very really amused by that. But yeah, you're right. Like, uh, the the show is a surprisingly really good show. I mean, it's not must watch or anything, but if you ever need a kind of an uplifting. A uh, lighthearted show that's kind of funny at times that uh, that has some genuine catharsis uh, for characters and, and genuine character development. I highly recommend it. Yeah, Where I, might one watch this? All right, I'll answer the question in one second. Yes, I, I just want to emphasize uplifting and what was the other word you used, Kirk? Lighthearted. Lighthearted, uplifting, and lighthearted. I think that's really important to say because a lot of sitcoms nowadays they're funny. And they have some good parts to it, but it's all about like, oh, look how bad our life is. Let's laugh at how bad life is together. Like Superstore, great show, but it's all about how shitty their lives all are. And the joke is, oh, these are all shitty people. Whereas The Rock, yeah, yeah he's surrounded by like these corrupt professional wrestlers. There's Greg Yao who's trying to steal his grandmother's promotion and everything. And I mean, watch Dark Side of the Ring if you want to see all the corruption in professional wrestling. That's there. And I mean, we know Ray Lewis, right? We, we know his corruption. And we know the, the shady stuff that was going on at the University of Miami at the time, where boosters were bringing kids out on boats and giving them money and drugs and things. So there's a shady side, but it doesn't focus on that. So lighthearted and uplifting is a great way to put it. Where can you watch this? This is on NBC. Uh, I streamed it on the Peacock app. There's a lot of streaming services right now. You just have to pick and choose what you want to watch. I don't know if you can also stream on the NBC website. I don't know the way all the streaming works. Uh, probably on Hulu because I know I used to watch a lot of that on Hulu. But if you have... Ro- I think oh, I watched it on Hulu. There you go. A lot of NBC stuff's available on Hulu. So uh, if um, you have Roku, something I love to do, it makes it so easy. It's easier than Google. If you go on Roku and you go to search and you search for yep. a property, it'll tell you all the places it can stream. That's honestly like worth the price of owning a Roku. Because I will go online, I will Google things. I don't know if anyone else has this problem. I'll Google things, I'll go, where do I stream director's cut of Sucker Punch? This is an example, I own it. But, I, not the director's cut, the extended cut, right? The director's cut's not out. But I'll, I'll Google that. And I, there's no site that just lists. Like, you remember back in the day, TV Guide, where everything was on? Well, Roku has that. So, look for some sort of a search engine, whatever your way of finding that stuff is. But... It's, it's an NBC property. It's a universal property uh, that they have their streaming service, Peacock, Hulu, and maybe other places as well. I don't know. And and it saves you money, too, because sometimes you'll have, like, an HBO subscription, and you'll want to watch a movie, and you won't know it's on HBO. And if you say, like, I want to watch um, Zack Snyder Justice League, and it's on HBO, like, you might have otherwise went to Amazon Prime or Google Play and tried to rent it for, like, 10 bucks, But then it's like, oh, it's on HBO, and I already have a subscription. I don't have to spend any more money. That's true. That's great advice, though. That's happened to me a few times. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime? Okay, well, I'll just sign into Amazon Prime. Otherwise, I would have had to buy something like that. Great advice. So let's move on, and let's. we're talking about movies we might want to watch, as Kirk just said. Let's talk about upcoming movies. Uh, I like to drop the trailers in there in Discord. As I already said, join the Discord. 
I dropped the trailers in there. You can go in there. You can watch them before the episode. You can watch them after the episode. Or maybe you pause. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Masters of the Universe Revelation Part 1 is the Netflix reboot of He-Man? Is that what the hell this is? I don't know. I watched this trailer and I was kind of overwhelmed by it. And that we watched all these trailers together. William, uh, Daniel, and I. Uh, and I, That was sort of the vibe I got from everyone, or at least from you. It was very overwhelming. I will yeah. say that the animation looked good. I, I, I can't fault the animation. I was like, wow, this is a very beautiful show. And it seemed to retain a lot of the good aesthetics of the original show. Like, we didn't turn He-Man into Fat Thor. Right? <laughs> we didn't go the MCU route. Like, they were actually that. As far as the story, I have no idea what the fuck's going on with the story. There's magic, or it's, 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 it's at risk, and then there's some random woman in there who's not She-Ra, and she's friends with Prince Adam, who is the guy who becomes He-Man, and then randomly Skeletor was there. I don't know. Uh, Kevin Smith is show running this. He's, he's creating this. So he did a lot of good things. I don't, I, I, I just, I was never enough of a He-Man fan, so unless somebody tells me this is really amazing, I'm not going to watch this. Tackle. Tackle? William? Uh, so I was a huge He-Man fan when I was three and four years old. I had an Oracle pillow. Ooh. And that was like my little thing. Like, Which I one's Oracle? Uh, the little guy that floats around. With no head? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was cool. Yeah. So uh, so I also have no idea what's going on in this trailer. And uh, and the thing is, like, I because of the nostalgia, I would want to see this, but I, there's so many questions around the story, and you know, uh, can you make a story about masculinity in today's culture? I don't know that you can, so I'm gonna very lightly hug this one. Hug? Swerve there, Daniel. This trailer was like the visual equivalent of that guy pacing the sidewalk with the sandwich board that says "The end is nigh." Repent. Rorschach, except not re- <laughs> religious. Rorschach? No, the actual crazy guy. Oh, okay. where is it in real life? I there's this thing about stakes in films where it's like we, we like crime rib. Like uh, oh, we had some good ribeye. <laughs> we had some good ribeye this weekend. Uh, didn't miss the humor. <laughs> um, no, where obviously you're trying to set up stakes like conflict and, and what's at stake in, in a movie, but like from the first second of this trailer the stake was we're all gonna die we're all gonna die we're all gonna die we're all gonna die and by like 10 seconds in i was like i don't care anymore because i'm i'm already my nerves are shot i'm done here it's you ringing a bell saying the world is not or the world is is coming to an end um also william i i wasn't a, as big a fan uh, as it sounds like you were but I did watch it. Are you saying it's did, because I'm gay? Uh, well, I'm not saying. I mean, did, that's how you became gay. gay. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, I wouldn't say it made you gay. Look, look at he, look at he man. I mean, I mean yeah. right. I'm only a little gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're on to something because I never really watched he man. And you're like no gay. Yeah. So, I think I think we got something here. Correlation is causation, everyone. <laughs> Perfect. But did the Netflix animation look like I don't know eight to eleven percent more anime? Than the original anime. I got an anime vibe from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely gets a, 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 a more of an anime vibe. I definitely saw that because they have this other series. I think it's called Blood of Zeus. 
which is like an anime retelling of certain Greek mythologies. Yeah. And it looks like it's almost going to that yeah. animation style. Netflix is all in on anime at the moment. Yes, they are. Yeah, because they're doing all the Army in. of the Dead prequel in anime. They're doing the Norse, Norse mythology. Castlevania's done really well. Yeah, I enjoy that too. They're going all in on anime. None of that really bothers me. I was just curious if my... I think your instinct's right there. Anyway. Um, look, I don't know. If I've had a couple bourbons and there's nothing else on, I might netflix and chill this one was that one of the netflix, netflix and hug there we go oh, hug, netflix and chill. hug not chill, chill. i don't uh, know it's gotten weirdly sexual i said i was a little gay never mind. okay <laughs> kurt uh, I think it looks uh, looks like a lot of fun. The animation looks awesome. Uh, I'm not. I didn't grow up on He Man. I remember watching uh, one of the movies. And how gay are you? If you did not grow up on He Man, how gay are you? <laughs> he Man causes homosexuality. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not really familiar with the lore and the canon with, with He Man. But I am interested to check this out. So when it when it comes out, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna give it a watch. Mm. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. Second trailer. Ride the Eagle is a comedy written and directed by Jake Johnson, most known as Nick Miller on New Girl. Uh, this looks like one of those movies where somebody who has a certain amount of respect and pull in Hollywood cashes that in and tries to make a movie where they don't really know what they're doing. It seemed at times to be not naturalistic at all like it's this this premise that's almost like 13 reasons why where this guy's mother dies and leaves him tasks to complete to get his inheritance and with each task there's a tape that's very like benevolent 13 reasons why that's a very romantic premise right it's it's not something that's realistic and we're taking it and we're heightening that she wants to give him life lessons and that's almost something that's important in our society because parents aren't imparting these life lessons that's what we were talking about with young rock Right, this idea that he's almost the rock is doing he's being a father figure to America almost. Well that's sort of what this movie's talking about. But then on the other hand, when he gets into like the conversation where one of the tasks for the character is he has to call the one that got away. And then their conversation is very like naturalistic and terrible and she's very mean to him. So there's like two sides to this movie. So for me personally, as much as Jake Johnson was hilarious in New Girl. And as much as like this seems like it could have potential, because it just looks like very rough around the edges, I just get the sense that this is not going to be very well executed. This is going to be sort of like, a, it would be a low budget, like $500,000 budget comedy, except for his pull and his respect within the industry. And I think it would it's going to have that level of quality. So for me, it's unless there's an, nothing else around, this is a tackle. Tackle. William? Uh, I I think I sit just a little bit on the other side of this. Like, I've, I feel like that dialogue you pointed out was the awkward thing in the trailer. And I, if there is more awkward humor like that, I don't think I could... I physically would probably be incapable of watching the movie. But the premise looks interesting. So I sit kind of on the fence. So I think I think I have to tackle this one. Like you said, unless I... Maybe there's going to be another trailer for this one. But it, it seems like if it's, if it's going to have that awkward humor to offset this such benevolent preface, it just seems so disjointed to my personal sense of life. So I, I have to tackle it. Tackle. Daniel? Is this a Netflix movie? 
No. Okay. Um, so I've, I've listened to Adam Kroll enough to know how badly editors butcher humor. Mm-hmm. And I, I did think that, like, when I listened to some of the jokes, I thought conceptually, like, oh, that's a funny joke, but I didn't find myself laughing. To me, that's probably an editing problem, and it might be a, just a trailer editing problem. Uh, weirdly, I also thought the premise was good enough that I think that I would go see this movie, actually. Hug. Hug. Kirk? Adding to what you said, Justin, uh, I can't help but wonder if this movie, you know, uh, if uh, the actor was using his pole to just kind of fund a vacation in the woods and say, (laughs) oh, but I'm also going to film a movie. (laughs) Because my first thought is like, oh, man, you know, it sounds like fun, you know, having a a, a fun uh, weekend, like maybe in Big Bear or something where you're kind of in the wilderness and whatnot. And I was really disappointed because it starts off with like him watching the the uh the video of his mom and she's like oh i'm still here in spirit in fact i'm behind you and i was really hoping she'd actually be there as a ghost and it would be kind of a funny ghost story where she's haunting like the family cabin and that's where he goes but it's not and uh, i'm gonna say tackle i have no interest in watching this movie tackle Uh, before you made me step on it uh i do think though that jk simmons was haunting the basement in the movie so you kind of got that oh okay I forgot he was in it. I watched it last night. Uh, I, I watched Whiplash for the first time a few months ago, and I really enjoyed it. And I became a much bigger fan of J.K. Simmons. I agree. That changed my my perspective on him as well. Great actor. Third trailer. Queen Pins stars Kristen Bell as uh, the leader. I don't know if they're leaders or whatever. I don't know who the other actress is. I've never seen her before. The other actress is very beautiful, though. But the leader of two women who create an illegal couponing empire. So this is sort of like a comedy version of Breaking Bad, except they're illegal coupons. I don't know, this is a very bizarre movie. It does have uh, Paul Walter Hauser in that, who's a great actor. He He's most known for... Um, Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, yeah, he's most known for that. And he's been great in other stuff I've seen him in as well. He was great in Cruella. That was a, one of the best movies to come out this year. So look, the cast of this movie is very, very strong, right? Vince Vaughn is in this as well. Uh, but I don't know if there's anything the cast can do to elevate this ridiculous premise. Especially because they added in all this stuff where they were like, the system is rigged against us. We have all this debt, so we're going to make illegal coupons. I'm like, uh, I actually would have more sympathy for you if you were like, we're going to destroy the banking system. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> like, look, you guys who are my friends know, and people who listen to this show know, I do think the system is broken. I do think it's it, it's largely creating like you have to be mega wealthy to be super successful. I think there's a cap, you know, and you look at the tax system, there's a cap where if you make a certain amount of money, then you just start getting taxed on everything. And there's no point in making that amount of money. And then you have to get to a certain level to just be able to, to swallow that. Uh, so I do think the system is broken, but I don't think it's broken in the way they're talking about in this where they're intentionally keeping everyone down and intentionally keeping everyone in debt. I think people mismanaging their own lives and not having the patience, you know, when you get fat, you have to have the patience to then lose weight. And what I mean by that is it's easier to get fat. It takes less time to get fat than it does to lose weight. It's quicker to gain weight than it is to lose. And it's the same thing with getting in debt. It's a lot quicker to get in debt. I can go and I can just drop a shitload of money right now 
but I can't make a shitload of money very quickly to pay off that debt. So people get in these situations and then they don't do what's necessary and they blame the system. And I think this kind of a comedy just indulges those people and gives them that quote unquote escapism to make them feel like some sort of fake catharsis. And I think that's very dangerous. Mm. So for me, even that though the cast is here with the underlying intellectual stuff in this, I just, I just can't tackle tackle William. Uh, yeah, this looks super boring. Just super boring. I didn't even laugh once, so I don't really have anything to say. It's it's definitely a tackle for me. Tackle. So this was based on a true story? I mean, there are all those shows about like extreme couponing and stuff, right? Who's to say they're not lying? I don't know the true story, but I believe it's uh, them saying that. I would have rather watched a documentary on this, I think, actually. Uh, I, never say, I rarely say give me something less stylized, but... Um, this looks stylized in a bad way. My only other thought is, is it coupon or coupon? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Tackle. Tackle. Kirk? You know, uh, I know you guys had Andrew Bernstein on ages ago to talk about his book uh, about heroes. And uh, he had a chapter in there on antiheroes and kind of changed the way I think about antiheroes. And he pretty much said that, like, there's kind of like a Marxist, Im- implicit Marxism in a lot of antihero stories that they're in this broken uh, capitalist world where everything's unjust. And the only way to get ahead and make something of yourself is by breaking rules, cheating and doing immoral things. And I think you kind of see it as Justin kind of mentioned earlier, this kind of seems like a, a, uh, it, it has a breaking bad feel to it where like, where the, 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 the heroes or the anti-heroes are going to try to uh, make money by, uh, by, uh, uh, counterfeiting coupons and seeing if they can get away with it. And yeah, it definitely kind of has a feel of like, oh, well, we're, we're uh, cheating the, the man. We're, 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 we're screwing over the big corporations. So like, you know, they can afford it. You know, what's really the big deal? And, and you know, the corporations are probably screwing you uh, in 10 other ways you don't realize. So we're only just taking a little back. I don't know if that's what the message is going to be, but I definitely get that from watching this trailer. And uh, I have no interest in seeing this movie, so I will give it a tackle as uh, I think... William or Daniel uh, said, I'd rather watch a documentary if it's based on a true story. <laughs> Tackle. Final trailer. No, you know, I thought Daniel had something to say. Oh, I, I was going to ask Kirk to say one more time, counterfeiting coupons. <sighs> oh, no. I don't even know how I said the word anymore. What did I say? No, no, no. I just like the way Kirk said counterfeiting coupons in his great radio My voice. dad always said said it with the the coupon and that's how i said it for a while and then i eventually i i thought coupon was the proper way to say it now i don't know now you have me confused <laughs> oh man but we, we why doesn't he narrate the documentary counterfeiting coupons <laughs> why don't you get him to do coupons. that let's do it return on ideas baby. return on ideas right. there you go well there's this there's a meta commentary to uh, midsetter tom says isn't it a french word and then he wrote the word as if like Calling it a French word and then writing the word coupon will tell me how to pronounce it. <laughs> coupon. <laughs> Do you have any great coupon? <laughs> All right. Hit the final trailer again. Okay. Final trailer. Uh, Sweet Girl is a Netflix original movie starring 
Jason Momoa, where he goes from fighting Big Pharma to protecting his daughter. I honestly had no idea what was going on in this trailer either. This was sort of the mirror image to the He-Man trailer, where, where you said that the, the level of anxiety. Where I was like, why is this trailer still going? I can't do this. Remember when we tried to binge 24? And it was just like you, you realize you need the breaks in it? Because it was like, there's, this is just, you just get amped up. There's no, 24, there's no arc. There's no crescendo. It's just straight up. That's what this entire trailer was. It was like, oh, ah, Big Pharma screwing Jason Momoa because his wife has cancer and they can't afford it. He has to protect his daughter. Now people are attacking him. Ah, Jason Momoa is killing people. Ah, this is so dangerous. Then it started playing Guns N' Roses and I was like, what? No, ah, ah, I can't deal with this. So like... Look, this sort of reminded me, if you remember, Steven Seagal, Seagal went through his, like, social awareness pictures, like, where uh, he fought Big Oil up in Alaska in that one movie, On Dangerous Ground. This sort of seemed like a Steven Seagal movie in the year 2021 with Jason Momoa in it. So, I would say this. If this was not anyone else, I would not see this movie. But this is something that if there's nothing else out, I have some free time, which... In between wrestling practices, I probably won't. But if I ever did, I would watch this. So this would be a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. William? Uh, I love Jason Momoa. I don't want to see this movie after watching the trailer. That's very sad. So I'm going to tackle. Tackle! Uh, I need a super cut of all the years of Justin starting his impressions with... Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot. You would, you would find hours. Wow. How would we differentiate between the different impressions? <laughs> Isn't that how every human being starts talking? Oh! Yeah. Anyway. Wait till I get that as a drop. Oh! Um, so, uh, the trailer. <laughs> um, Can we start there? <laughs> was the point that he was angry that a drug company wouldn't sell him a drug? So we're now on to we must make companies sell us things that they don't if, if they don't sell it, it's oppressive because they're deciding you can't have it. And who are they to decide you can't have something? Okay. Private property is oppressive. I it was something about if you discontinue this generic drug, then my wife will die. That, honestly, you guys remember more than I remember. Well, I, I barely... I, it was about that point in the trailer that I started thinking... Did I leave my toothbrush at the hotel? <laughs> and that was way more entertaining than the rest of the trailer okay. to think about. So, a uh, hard tackle. Tackle. That seems like the He-Man tackle. That should have been the He-Man tackle. Oh. Um, Kirk. Ever since the recent Fast and Furious movie came out, Vin Diesel has become somewhat of a meme and people keep photoshopping him into all these different scenes from movies where family is mentioned. And it, and Jason Momoa kind of says at one point, like, oh, we're family. And now I can't hear family <laughs> without immediately thinking of Vin Diesel. Anyway, uh, yeah, what, it, what you guys said, I'm convinced, like... So he's going after Big Pharma, and then Big Pharma has this this like paramilitary uh, organization that that responds. Wait, you don't know about my uh, my paramilitary uh, uh, response team that I have for my restaurant? Like, 
In case someone writes us a bad Yelp review, we just... ROI's we, first purchase was we a set, case of AK-47. Yeah, just sent Jason Momoa out to... Uh... The, 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 the Jersey Mike's has a SWAT team. Yeah. <laughs> should see Ben and Jerry's, guys. Yeah, that's true. Midsider Tom just put a meme in it. It's from the Avengers. Uh, Loki saying, I have an army. And then it's Vin Diesel saying, we have a family uh, for people. <laughs> That's kind of this movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Boy, Hollywood capitalizes quickly on this meme culture. <laughs> so, so Kirk, what, what do you think? What do you think? Tackle. <laughs> what? No way. Tackle. I- I'm going to be honest. I only said tackle to save time because that would have triggered the four tackle rule and I would have had to pick uh-huh, one to yeah, hug. So I, I, to had to, I had to yeah. pick one. Game so in the like, system. Yeah, game the system. Letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. All right. So uh, that brings us to an end of this episode. Let's put a bow on it. What did we learn this trip, William? Uh, I learned that nothing's better than having everyone together here as a family. to <laughs> All right, Dominic Toretto. Daniel. Coupon! <laughs> I hate you so much. Kirk, what did you learn? Uh, that cartoons and family sitcoms are uh, kind of the uh, peak of art in uh, today's culture. I'm kidding, mm. but... Uh, <laughs> because, yeah, we talked about Young Rock, and it, the only things uh, we talked... Uh, see, I, I kind of um, said that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we also talked about Zack Snyder, and he makes... Uh, you know, Justice League was a good movie, so... Maybe I shouldn't say. Maybe I shouldn't be so rude. <laughs> uh, he's making he's making some cartoons now too. So yeah. But we're see. talking about Young Rock, and the only thing uh, apparently I want to watch is Young Rock and He Man, and uh, nothing else. Yeah. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that apparently Big Pharma has an army of paratroopers. So I'm gonna make sure I only buy the the the, uh, the pills they let me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taken right. with food twice daily. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of this trip. I'd like to thank everyone for listening as always. If not, it would just be me randomly talking into a microphone. Not in a closet this week, though. In a room that will continuously echo yeah, in a for room about that five will minutes after echo. we stop recording this podcast. So uh, let's thank our guests and have them plug themselves. So, Daniel, mm-hmm. always love having you on. I'm glad you came back from your hiatus. You're always welcome to come back from hiatus. We, we await you fully joining the show back. In the meantime... <laughs> Where can people find you? And where can they find Return on Ideas? Great. Well, uh, go to all the social medias and at Return on Ideas. Or uh, on Twitter, it had to be Return on Ideas Co. Because apparently someone else has already taken that handle. Bastards. Um, Or me at Daniel T. Richards, because it's my real name. And I am who I am. So go find me online. Thanks. Kirk, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I'd like to say if you ever have an idea that you want to come talk about on the show, if you have a topic or you have a video you made that you want to you know, get some more eyes on and you want to talk about it on the show, we're more than willing to do it. So just, you know, shoot me a DM. And if anyone wants to DM you or mention you, where can anyone find your YouTube channel, your Twitter, all that good stuff? You can find me on Twitter at my name, Kirk Wilcox. That's Kirk with a K, K-I-R-K. Um, remember one time I was at a, uh, I went to the dentist and they, I, I filled out all the paperwork with my name, K-I-R-K, and they labeled my X a C-U-R-T. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Kirk Wilcox on Twitter, Kirk Wilcox on YouTube. If you search for me on YouTube, Kirk Wilcox, uh, I imagine my channel, my videos will uh, 
be uh, amongst the first results. And find me on Twitch at Kirkamania because uh, I, I guess my name was not available when I decided to create a Twitch account. So that's where you can find me. Awesome, awesome. Definitely check both of those guys out there. They're amazing people. They're some of the best people out there in this Liberty space online. So love having them on the show. I love having you listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so in normal, way, uh, normal ways, in many ways. <laughs> Uh, I've got this, William put this picture in Discord of Conor McGregor breaking his ankle, which we watched all live last night. It was horrific. It was horrific. And seeing the picture is very disconcerting. Uh, um, Patreon, locals, midside.com slash Patreon. That's per episode, midside.com slash locals. That's per month. You can also buy my book, the midside.com slash the cut, if you want to learn more about a fictionalized version of what happened in the production of Justice League. Uh, And as always, Daniel, what's the best way? To promote the show. Tell a friend. I've missed that. I've missed him saying that. But yeah, tell a friend. That's the best way to grow the show. Helps us keep the lights on. Helps us keep... Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, this is why you have to come back so you can do the shilling. Has <laughs> it really been this bad? Yes. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Evans reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness... The farce. Have a Florida day. So we've had zero podcat meows on the entire show. Yeah, that's interesting. But she doesn't really talk when nowadays, does she?